Hi everyone, welcome to Heme Sapiens, the podcast where diverse perspectives and healthcare converge. My name is Zoe and today we will be discussing current anti-Asian violence in the United States and how it's built upon long-standing traditions of racism and white supremacy both in the States and its affairs abroad. I will be speaking with Naomi, who is a fourth-year social and cultural analysis major at NYU. I think there's a lot of discussion around anti-Asian sentiment right now, so I wanted to hear her perspective on anti-Asian rhetoric and the relationship between Asians slash Asian Americans and the United States. Okay, thanks Zoe. Hi, I'm glad to be here. I'm happy to be here and say the things that I sometimes can't believe need to be repeated. Um, Zoe, are you going to introduce the topic? Well, I suppose you sort of already have. Right. So for those of you who are unaware, we are now about a year into the COVID pandemic in the United States. And COVID was thought to jump, um, or I guess SARS-CoV-2, the virus, was thought to jump from bats to humans in kind of wet markets, I think they're called. I'm not totally sure if that's correct, in Wuhan, which is in China. And viruses jump from animals to humans all the time. So this is not something that's like never happened before. But I think because the United States is built on a lot of racism in general, this really became a an opportunity for people who were already racist to double down and rationalize their racism with, well, China gave us COVID, which is, you can really go into all the reasons why this is false, right? Like, But I think this was kind of just an easy target for people to latch onto. Um, there's a, an organization called Stop AAPI Hate that records hate crimes against Asians who live in the United States. And they came out with their numbers recently and said, hey, so we've actually seen a 150% increase in hate crimes over the past year because, you know, the pandemic allows people to maybe rationalize the very negative feelings they already have against people who are visually Asian. And I, I don't love the idea of a hate crime, to be honest, because I think we but I think there's a lot we can talk about in terms of just what we actually criminalize and what we don't criminalize and how the way that we think of crime in this country is already so bad. But I care. I tried to think of an alternative for hate crime, but um, I couldn't. So I'm just going to go ahead and use it. So they've seen a pretty shocking increase in hate crimes against Asians in the U.S. and also, those are only the people who are actually reporting it. So I'm sure there is more. Um, I know a couple weeks ago, um, there was the shooting in Atlanta, which got a lot of press just because I think that really, for a lot of Asian women especially, I mean, that was really scary. And Obviously, we can go into how the United States has a really bad relationship with guns and with gun control, but I think there is 
this very real and visceral sense of fear for Asian Americans right now, where it's so obvious that mm, people don't want us here or people don't want us living in this country. It makes sense that you would be doing this podcast question now, because for a lot of Asian Americans, myself included, um, racism could be sort of the background noise of your life, where it is always there, so you can sort of ignore it. But when large incidents happen, you can't really ignore it. And maybe you actually have an existential sense of fear. Maybe. Who knows? That is why perhaps we are addressing it right now. However, when I stop and think about it, I see the Atlanta shooting as just one recent manifestation of racism and like xenophobia and that particularly American style of violence, which is enabled by the country's negligence of gun control. Okay, we know this. But because it's like I've heard, okay, I've heard that in the US, mass shootings happen every day, even more than we already hear about. There is just a lot of gun violence in the US. And there is a long, and on top of that, there is like a long tradition, like a legacy of incel gun violence that has been based in anti-Asian racism specifically anyways. Um, for example, like, I don't want to sound like, like I'm a serial killer enthusiast or something, but you know that the uh, Elliot Roger mass shooting was motivated by anti-Asian racism as well. Um, so Asians have been hated by Americans basically forever. We can expand on this later. And also women, especially sex workers, have been hated by incels forever. Ergo, you can see the confluence. You know, white supremacists and men have been terrorizing these people that they hate with gun violence as well as random attacks on the street forever. And that there is... Um... American antagonism towards this conception of like the bad orientalist other is not news at all. Right, yeah. Just to be clear, anti-Asian racism is not new at all. And this is something we'll go into a lot later on. But I think every Asian who lives in the United States and who grew up in the United States, we all know that this is not new. We all know that there's a very different way in which we are treated versus white people. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I guess the impact of the pandemic might just be this, it, this opportunity to rationalize the hate against Asian Americans. If you can think back to the beginning of the pandemic in March last year, there were also lots of like, you know, little news stories about Asians getting shouted at or whatever for COVID reasons. And those largely died down as people, in, they died down in the news as people were more locked down in their houses and stuff. Um, therefore, the fact that there has, that has never gone away shouldn't really be a surprise, especially since nothing has ever been done to address the reasons why such racist acts of like you know racist intimidation are carried out in the first place well of course the thing is um 
there is a large, the most politicians will debate about whether it actually happens or whether it's actually bad, rather than trying to debate as instead of trying to figure out a solution. That, of course, is a symptom of the white supremacy inherent in the U.S. government, right? Yes, we knew this. The government is built upon white supremacy. Okay. Yes, and the sky's blue. So, um, what else is there? Hmm. Even though, even though these are all centered around COVID, and for sure the response of many people to the facts that COVID may or may not exist or whatever has been racist, that's not really the problem here. Because even if there weren't COVID, wouldn't these things still be happening? Wouldn't, um, wouldn't there be white people who inherently fear Asians and the takeover of the country or whatever, who fear, like, China or who believe um, in, like, American military interventionism in Asia, they would still exist. Yeah, I almost feel like I don't really like this idea that anti-Asian racism is due to COVID. I think that's like a, I think the media or the news or whatever kind of takes that at face value. And I actually don't think I like that very much because I feel like it's a lot easier to say, oh, you know, maybe this will go away when COVID goes away. But it didn't start with COVID and it's not going to end with COVID, you know? And I think it's interesting too that maybe the (laughs) Venn diagram between people who think COVID is serious and people who really, really have these urges to physically assault Asians, I'm not sure those are as connected as we think they are. Of course there was. Of course. And, right, and this is what a lot of of Asian activists are struggling with. The idea that... The, the idea that anti-Asian racism is just, like, a moment. The idea that any social movement is just a moment is always done to diminish its power and to commodify it. But that's a topic that we don't necessarily need to get into. But are these discussions happening? I honestly don't think so. I don't think that people using a hashtag on Instagram is a measure of social consciousness, nor is it a measure of actual support or sympathy. I am very cynical and I think that a lot of the stuff on Instagram doesn't count, like, because... It is devoted to righting a certain wrong that happened maybe two weeks ago, thereby individualizing the problem of racism to one specific incident. There's no way that we can get justice for these people who were killed. But even if we could, and you could restore that, basically you would just be taken to the state of the U.S. like two weeks ago, which was still a very racist place. Right, and I think in this moment too, we really have to bring in um, intersectionality, shout out Kimberly Crenshaw. I was wondering kind of what you've noticed about maybe the media response in and how the media really looks at Asian women right now too, because I feel like I've just been very disappointed in it. I feel like a lot of people have been saying, oh, I, I, a lot of people have chalked it up to either one, right? Like either this happens because you're Asian Or, alternatively, this happens because you are a woman. 
Well, yeah, I do. I am skeptical about taking up the incident as entirely, for example, a feminist cause or entirely as like an Asian cause, because neither of those encompass the true nuances of the incident. But, you know, there's just the fact that immigrant women sex workers are some of the most vulnerable people out there. And if you want to know why, for example, like grandmas are getting targeted and like in street violence it is because they're vulnerable not because they're grandmas right like i want to say that the particular form of racism faced by female asian sex workers is it is just it is connected to racism against asians as a whole though i think that acting like it's a completely different form of discrimination is not the case. It's just the most extreme form of discrimination. Because the way that, like, um, there's a lot of discussion about no people noting the fact that the most of the victims were Asian women. They want to talk about the fetishization of Asian women. Why is that? Is it because the fetishization of Asian women is particularly visible in media and pop culture? Like, how is it related, right? It's not related just because these women are Asian right? It's related because the fetishization of Asian women is one specific type of white supremacist patriarchy. Because the perception of quote-unquote Asian sexuality is just part of the U.S.'s complex about imperialism and, like, domination in Asia because of the whole, like, you know, sexist about power thing, right? It's not that... It's not that the specifically gendered and racialized attitude towards Asian women came out of nowhere. It is because of antagonism towards Asia, and they are just the most vulnerable recipients of it. Because look, people would have you believe that the fetishization of, of Asian women is an individualized like problem, and that it is like, oh, well, if that guy didn't watch so much anime, maybe he wouldn't think that. This is not the case. Because... If you think of someone as a real human being with feelings equivalent to your own, you will not fetishize them. So obviously, it is a problem of deeper entrenched racism. It is it inherently comes from a hateful place, right? We know that simply because you have a sexual fetish for someone doesn't mean that you don't actually hate them. We know this. Um yeah, so basically what I want to say is that the fetishization of Asian women isn't like a sexual issue that is tangentially related to racism. It is racism in a form that manifests very often. Like, it's not that Asian fetishists only apply these stereotypes to women who they are trying to date. They apply them to every Asian person ever. They apply them to Asian countries as a whole. It's not that they think that Asian women are submissive. They think Asian women should be submissive and that Asia as a concept should be submissive. And that's, you can obviously see the ramifications of that, right? So if you think about it like this, yellow fever only exists because of like Western imperialism. And it's only a problem because Western imperialism is a problem. Right. And something I want to emphasize here, too, is there's a really big historical context that I think sometimes gets missed. So, you know, American military presence, we see, I think Japan and South Korea are like countries number one and number three with the most American military presence. 
Um, and what does that mean for the people who actually live there? Uh, what does that mean for the women who are living there? And uh, one other, and you know, American military presence in Southeast Asia as well, even if you don't necessarily get this context in your history classes and you don't learn about Asia, Asia and how it interacts with the American military in your history class. Um, <laughs> the United States loves its Vietnam War movies or its American War movies. And I think we see in a lot of these movies, we kind of get this idea of who an Asian woman is or who I guess specifically a Vietnamese woman is, but I think this stereotype is can be applied very broadly to all Asian or how white America per perceives all Asian women. The women we see here aren't necessarily, aren't women with bodily autonomy. Um, a lot of times they're not women who are seen as deserving of consent or respect. So I think, yeah, I mean, all of this is just historical context, right? Like, or all of this has a historical basis to it. I mean, I remember in high school uh, learning about the Chinese Exclusion Act, and I think that was seen as kind of like this bench point of when the United States decided to start oppressing Asians, which is just like wrong in general. Like the United States is always <laughs> oppressed Asians. But I think it's it also neglects the fact that in 1875 there the Page Act um had already been passed and that banned Chinese women and I believe Japanese women as well from entering the United States because white America looked at these women and thought you know, these women are dangerous, they're sexually dangerous, they're whatever. Um, I don't want to really get into the specifics of um, what white America thinks about Asian women. But yeah, I mean, it's obviously, this just goes back to, it's not just like one random dude, or it's not just like a couple weird random dudes. It's the history of Western colonialization, colonization, and Western imperialism. Right. It's not a matter of quote unquote personal preference. It is clear. It is clearly. It's like you do not see Asians as real people with whole, complete identities, sexual or otherwise, and it manifests in certain ways because of the way Asia is positioned in our culture. But it's not. It is not an individual issue. And you cannot escape this, even if you are not a vulnerable Asian female sex worker. It affects everybody. Um, you might think that, oh, if I just swipe left on all the white guys that I see, it won't be a problem. But it, it is not simply about how you are treated in a sexual context. Because sex is about power. And these power dynamics are present in every in every facet of life. Like, it doesn't stop there, right? It's like, you might have a specific stereotype applied to Asian women, but this isn't, this is not separable from the stereotypes applied to other Asians, or like the concept of Asia in general. 
So yeah, the individualization of such social issues is really a big problem because it's like, why are we talking about fetishization anyway? Like, is this the first thing that comes to mind when you see Asian women sex workers? Okay, sure, but why? Right, and I think a lot of this backlash against um, bringing up sex work, like obviously we have to decriminalize sex work in order to make it safer for women who actually, who who are sex workers, but I think there's a lot of backlash to even just bringing it up in this moment. And I actually feel like a lot of people kind of miss the point there. Like, I feel like to me, bringing up sex workers or, you know, Asian sex workers isn't about um, sex work. It's about protecting the people in our society who are the most vulnerable to violence and misogyny. And those are Asian sex or, you know, those are women of color who are sex workers. So it just, yeah, I guess that's something I wanted to add too. Like, we can't just say, okay, protect some Asian women or protect some women in general, you know. I want to live in a society that is ready, willing, and capable of protecting everyone. And I think we have to do that from the bottom up. We have to really pay attention to who's actually the most vulnerable and, um, you know, progress accordingly. Exactly. So the point that I wanted to get across is that talking about anti-Asian racism at this point in time, considering the social context, the conversation would almost be the same. Um, the historical basis, for example, of anti-Asian racism is like entrenched into what? The, the 19th century or even earlier. So it wouldn't really make a difference to make this podcast like a month ago, for, for example, or like a month from now. I... Hmm. Yeah, I won't get into that. Uh... <laughs> right, and one, th- one other thing is I think, I don't know how productive it is to say, oh, anti-Asian violence is happening because Asians live, is happening to Asian Americans because Asians live in the United States. And I think it's also important to just keep in mind that the United States military or the United States in general commits atrocities against people in Asia and Asians who live outside the United States. So I think it's that's just another way in which we kind of are able to, not we, but the United States government and white supremacy is able to maybe dilute this into, oh, well, this is just happening to Asian Americans or you know, it, I feel like it just neglects the rest of the world and the fact that the United States also kind of has, has to take accountability for what goes on outside the United States as well. Well, it's one thing to say that the actions of the U.S. military are violence condoned by the state. Um, and therefore... It is different from random hate crimes and attacks by individuals with no affiliation to the state. But on the other hand, it's obvious to see that it's the same rhetoric. And 
you know, the whole violence turned inwards thing, you know, like, um, the point is, is that the discrimination against Asian Americans and the, the discrimination against Asian Americans by anyone, by individuals or by the, the U.S. state is that it's not even separable from violence against people in Asia or, you know, wherever. Because it's all motivated pretty much by the same things. It's like, yes, the state is not technically condoning the, um, the Atlanta shooting the same way they condone, for example, the incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II. But, you know, they would if they could, you know? <laughs> And there are a lot of, um, it's like, why does the state have such an investment in not, um, in not, not classifying certain things as hate crimes? Why does the state have such an investment in not restricting gun access? You know, things like that. Um, why? Too many questions. Obviously, this all comes down to racism and white supremacy and capitalism as most things do um but i guess i had i've heard a little bit of stuff about pan-asianism as well and i just wanted to ask you what your thoughts on pan-asianism are out of just for my own curiosity okay regarding to the point before that point the reason why these types of violence are the same is because they're both unjustifiable like, inherently, right? It's like, yes, they are different in their motivations, perhaps, but if you try to justify, for example, the actions of the U.S. military abroad, you'll find that you cannot. And besides, the the officially state-sanctioned stuff, like napalm or atom bombs, um, is one form of violence, but there's also a lot of terrible shit happening at the ground level carried out by soldiers themselves with no scruples, and that is also part of the U.S. military's immoral shit in Asia. That is what, and neither of those things can be justified, as no, uh, as is the same with domestic hate crimes, and that is why I am equating them. Okay, to address your point about pan-Asianism, I am very skeptical about the concept of pan-Asianism because, okay, one, a lot of people are too concerned, in my opinion, with the word Asian itself. It is very pedantic, I think, and the only reason why pan-Asianism has appeal to Asian Americans is because the idea of forming a unified voter bloc to become powerful and to exert political change as a minority is something that we all dream about. On one hand, it's easy to assume that all anti-Asian racism is like a mutation of like, if we're talking about the Chinese Exclusion Act, a mutation of Sinophobia, because, like, obviously, racist people cannot tell Asians apart, but if they could, it wouldn't make a difference. They can't find these countries on a map. They don't care about the exact ethnicity of people, but that's not the point, right? Like, this has been the case for all anti-Asian hate crimes since the beginning. Whether or not a white person knows your ethnicity does not change the nature of racism directed at you. And xenophobia or like whatever you want to call it xenophobia or whatever isn't directed at the real china or the real asia that exists it is directed at an image 
of Asia through Western eyes. And that is obviously inaccurate. But on the other hand, um, forms of violence against specific Asian peoples on the part of the US military, if you want to take it, if you want to look at it from that angle, they're all very different because there were lots of war crimes committed in different places. The specific experience that, like, for example, Filipino people have with the American military is different from, for example, from the experience that Okinawan people have. They're both bad, but like bad in different ways. I'm inclined to think that because the target of these uh, attacks is not the real Asia, but an image of Asia, that Pan-Asianism only works as a response to that. Pan-Asianism Pan only works as a response to that sort of essentializing and um, like racist violence. Because Pan-Asianism is essentializing as a, and is reductive, which is why it works against that sort of essentializing and reductive rhetoric. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with me, Naomi. Um, and so long to our fellow team sapiens. I know I had, I really enjoyed this podcast and I really enjoyed speaking to you. I always enjoy speaking to you, but I hope it was interesting and insightful for, um, our listeners as well. So, so long to our fellow team sapiens. We'll see you next time. Bye. Here it goes a little yeah. something like